Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, an extended ceasefire in Gaza. The truce lasting two more days, what it means for American hostages, and why the White House warns that it could be a double-edged sword. Iris Tau reports from the White House. As Israelis get a chance to see those relatives they thought they might never see again, Elon Musk is in Israel. Will he supply Starlink internet to Gaza? Jason Perry reports. A shooting in Vermont leaves three students of Palestinian descent in the hospital. A suspect is in custody. This could be the last week in the House for Congressman George Santos. We hear what he has to say and what the rest of Congress has in store heading into the Christmas holiday. Melina Weiskup on Capitol Hill. How serious is the recent outbreak of a mysterious illness in China? The CCP has a history of downplaying crisis and underreporting cases. Arian Pazdart takes a closer look. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City. Here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. More hostages being freed and more aid getting in. The ceasefire in Gaza will now go on for two more days. But the White House warns that Hamas terrorists could be using this time to regroup and rearm. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. The White House says that over the entire Thanksgiving weekend, President Biden was deeply engaged in the process of pushing for an extension in ceasefire for another two days, which is until Thursday morning Israel time. And in exchange, Hamas will need to release another 20 women and children in addition to the 50 hostages that it needed to release as part of the original deal, which was supposed to end today after four days of pause and fighting. Meanwhile, the White House says that there is no American among the 11 hostages released today despite it saying this just earlier today. Watch. We hope that they will be released today, but we won't know until we see the list and we see who comes actually comes across. We want to get we want to get them released right away. A four-year-old American girl was released on Sunday by the other two American women, whom the White House has said that would be among the 50 hostages to be released as part of the first version of the four-day ceasefire deal, are still not among the ones reunited with their families. But now with this extension, it is possible that the two women could be among the ones making it to the list over the next few days, although the White House also today saying that there could be eight or nine Americans who are still being held hostage in Gaza. And all of this is as the White House warns that this time in pause in fighting could allow Hamas to actually regroup and rearm themselves. Watch. It's a real risk. Um, uh, you have to expect a group like Hamas, a terrorist group, uh, which clearly doesn't abide by laws of war, will try to take advantage of any pause in the fighting for their own benefit. Time to refit, to rest your fighters, to rearm them. The White House says that it's a balance between such risks and the need to get hostages out of Gaza, adding that it would actually like to see an even longer pause in fighting. Meanwhile, President Biden today saying in a statement that the U.S. is fully utilizing this pause, taking advantage of it to get more humanitarian aid into Gaza. Meanwhile, he asked that the U.S. will not stop until all hostages are freed. Back to you. The temporary ceasefire has brought together family members who thought they might never see each other again. Hamas terrorists kidnapped approximately 240 people from Israel on October 7th. 
Many of their family members have tried to stay hopeful since then, waiting for the day their loved ones would return home. NTD's Jason Perry takes a closer look at the recent hostage prisoner exchanges. Over the weekend, Hamas terrorists released more hostages during the temporary ceasefire. And once again, Israelis lined the streets and cheered them on as they returned to the country. Emotions overflowed on Saturday as a mother and her daughter, who were kidnapped on October 7th, were reunited with their family. And on Sunday, this mother saw her two daughters, age 8 and 15, for the first time since they were kidnapped over seven weeks ago. These photos show other hostages released over the weekend, including a four-year-old American girl, Abigail Eden, who witnessed her parents being killed by Hamas terrorists. She's now back in Israel with her aunt. This man in Israel commented on the ceasefire so far. You know, when you, you strike deals when you have some mutual interest, and uh, as long as Hamas has an interest to get ceasefire because of military pressure or other reasons, they will be able, they will be paying for that, if you will, with, with hostages and to get the ceasefire. So um, I, I'm optimistic it will be extended, uh, at least for now, as long as they can provide hostages back. Since the ceasefire began on Friday, Hamas has released 69 hostages, including 11 hostages released on Monday. Roughly 170 hostages remain in Hamas captivity. On the other side of the deal, Israel has released 117 Palestinian prisoners and is expected to release 33 more prisoners on Monday as well. Also on Monday, this Palestinian man who was released from Israeli prison reunited with his mother in the West Bank. At first, these exchanges appeared to be the quiet before the storm as the temporary ceasefire was set to end Monday night. But the new deal mediated by Qatar will extend the temporary ceasefire for two more days. It will allow for more hostage prisoner exchanges and also for more trucks of humanitarian aid to be delivered to the Gaza Strip. And also on Monday, Elon Musk visited Israel and met with Israeli officials, including Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. They toured the aftermath of the Hamas terrorist attack on Israeli villages where over 1,400 people were killed. Here's what Musk said to Netanyahu. I mean, the, 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 the challenge is really how do you, you know, get, get rid of the ones who are hell-bent on murdering Jewish people. That if, that at the end of the day, that, that's really essential is, is to figure out, okay, what, how are they being trained to have these, to, to believe that murdering and having joy at the death of civilians is a good thing um, and to stop that training. Netanyahu replied by saying to have peace, security, and a better life for Palestinians, they must destroy Hamas. He also said that Israel plans to rebuild Gaza, and he hopes his Arab partners will help them. Jason Perry, NTD News. The suspect in the shooting of three Palestinian students in Vermont has pleaded not guilty. Police arrested 48-year-old suspect Jason Eaton last night. Mr. Eaton has now been arraigned and charged with triple attempted murder, charges that carry the potential for life sentences. This case remains the top priority of the Burlington Police Department. The investigation will continue, as will our collaboration with state and federal partners, to give our prosecutors the strongest case possible and to ensure that Mr. Eaton is held fully accountable for his actions. 
Eaton pleaded not guilty to three counts of attempted second-degree murder. He is currently being held without bail. The three victims are 20-year-old college students of Palestinian descent. Two are U.S. citizens, while the third is a legal resident. All three remain hospitalized. President Biden today released a statement on the shooting, saying there is absolutely no place for violence or hate in America, period. No person should worry about being shot at while going about their daily lives. The FBI is investigating the shooting. So far, law enforcement have not said whether the three men were targeted because of their ethnicity. These next few days in Congress may well be the last for New York Congressman George Santos. He says he's expecting to be kicked out once the House takes up the expulsion vote as early as this week. NTD's Melina Weiskop has more on this and other high-priority issues on Congress's agenda as the House and Senate return. New York Republican Congressman George Santos is awaiting trial to face 23 federal charges for allegedly defrauding donors and falsifying records. Now the House this week is expected to take up a third attempt to expel him. This failed before twice, although this third try may play out a bit differently. We know of several lawmakers who previously voted to keep him seated who are now flipping. Congressman Santos himself acknowledged that the math isn't looking so good ahead of this week's vote, but he's not willing to go out without a fight. Take a look at this bit from a three-hour live stream that he had on the platform X and his first public response to this ethics report. I mean, within the ranks of the United States Congress, there's felons galore. Why not, oh, why so not resign really, before really, we take the vote? Yeah, wait, we're going to vote to expel you, George. Hold on, hold on. I'm not going to resign. I think I resign. I admit everything that's on that report. We'll hear from Santos again later this week in person at a press conference here at the Capitol set for Thursday. And if he is in fact expelled, this would squeeze Republicans already slim majority in the House, taking them from a four seat margin to a three seat margin. Those impacts could be long lasting if a Democrat is able to flip that seat in a special election. And over in the Senate, leader Chuck Schumer is pushing for a vote on President Biden's aid package to Ukraine, Israel and money for the southern border, although it's clear at this point in time that this package does not have the votes to clear through the entire Congress. All of this while the government funding dispute has only been kicked down the road into early next year, and that means lawmakers have until then to work out and meet key decisions on things such as top line spending numbers or policy priorities. This is a very heavy lift for a Congress as divided as this one. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. China trying to cope with hospitals overwhelmed by new patients, children and adults alike suffering from serious respiratory symptoms. Is China downplaying the situation as it did during the initial round of the CCP virus? NTD's Arian Pazdar takes a closer look. The Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, on Sunday acknowledging a possible outbreak of another disease. People around the country are dealing with symptoms such as cough, fatigue and white lung, all three of which were also common in COVID-19 infections. This clip shows just one of many hospitals in China unable to keep up with incoming patients. Some parents say they had to wait for eight hours for their sick kids to be treated. On Sunday, health officials told hospitals to extend service hours and set up more clinics. Some are now worried this might be the outbreak of a new pathogen. The WHO, which came under heavy criticism in the past for allegedly being a Chinese mouthpiece, indicates the symptoms are normal, saying no new pathogen has been detected.
in the current outbreak of respiratory illnesses, the reported symptoms are common to several respiratory diseases. And as of now, at the present time, Chinese surveillance and hospital systems report that the clinical manifestations are caused by known pathogens in circulation. Now, China says this mysterious new illness is not a new pathogen, but a mix of diseases like the flu, mycoplasma, pneumonia and others. But the CCP has a history of downplaying outbreaks in its own country. For example, during COVID, China infamously started reporting zero new COVID cases per day all of a sudden. Before that, they reported thousands of new cases every single day. This history has led to concerns that the current outbreak might actually be much more serious than China is describing. Some suspect this could be another COVID outbreak, which the CCP is hiding because the party has declared victory in combating the pandemic. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. How do we understand the rise in pneumonia cases among children in China? And what can we learn given the lack of transparency? Joining us now to take a deeper dive into the situation, we have Dr. Sean Lin, former U.S. Army microbiologist and professor of biomedical sciences at Fatian College. Dr. Sean Lin, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Tiffany. Right now, we're seeing that China is urging hospitals across the country to extend service hours. This is amid a recent surge in mycoplasma pneumonia cases, especially in children. To begin, how do you read this recent increase in infections? Uh, I think the situation is definitely far beyond just uh, pneumonia, uh, mycoplasma pneumonia infection. And the government recently, actually last weekend, they had a, a public announcement talk about uh, this winter season. There'll be multiple respiratory pathogens circulating uh, or spiking. And so uh, it, it actually create a lot more confusion for Chinese people as well. And also, I think for WHO officer, they don't understand what exactly going on because it cannot uh, explain the current situation. There's so many uh, young kids uh, got serious respiratory infection. Some are in ICU and many even have severe lung infection, even have white lung. Some even have to go through very dangerous uh, lung washing procedures. And we don't know how many young kids die. So basically the Chinese government is not transparent at all on, uh, on the number of the like ICU numbers, hospitalized numbers, as well as the death number during this wave. And this is not just recently, actually uh, it has been in uh, high uh, infection rate right now, at least for three months, because we see report even in uh, August, September in uh, Liaoning, some of the northeast city in China already have this outbreak. I want to get to all that, but first, why do you think it's so common in children this time? I think this is a very unique situation. I, I actually think the fundamental underlying reason is still the COVID. The COVID never uh, really left China and it's still a, a COVID pandemic and then on top of it you see uh, a very high peak circulation of other respiratory pathogens. So for example, if you have the uh, mycoplasma pneumonia infection which target primarily uh, to people's uh, upper respiratory tract and children are very easy to contract uh, these uh, mycoplasma pneumonia infection, your immune system is weakened. And now the COVID can easily enter directly 
invade to your lung, like causing more infection, causing more inflammatory infiltration, and causing the white lung situation. So that's why children are particularly like the focus groups of this infection. So I think this is unprecedented time. I think it's a very dangerous situation. It's not like a regular winter season; you have some spike. Because it never go into such a severe disease, uh, like outbreak situation in the past. In a winter outbreak, we know it, it can happen, right? But people usually have a, a cold, have a flu for a while, but it's not like such a widespread. And right now in China, many cities have similar situations. Wow, and as you mentioned, you know, children are in the ICU, severe cases, even the white lung symptoms. Given the Chinese Communist Party's history of lack of transparency and underreporting, and at least you know the most recent pandemic, how can we be sure about what's actually happening inside China right now? Uh, definitely, good question. I I don't know which government data need can be trusted actually, and um, but very obviously the Chinese government did not report any of those uh, death tours, uh, ICU number, hospitalization number. And so uh, right now, people can only guess this, uh, the severity of these outbreak through uh, the, in a hospital, you have to register for a number, right? <laughs> so some hospital, even the children's hospital, you have to wait 3,000 people in order to get treated, right? People can only count the numbers through these kind of registration system. It's kind of ridiculous. So Chinese people are not even entitled to know what's the outbreak uh, situation in any particular city. And the Chinese government say they provide testing data to WHO. But on the other hand, why Chinese people are not entitled to this simple testing data, right? It's all ridiculous. So the Chinese government is still hiding the situation. Basically, they want to continue to tell the government story that uh, COVID is gone, Ch uh, COVID has left China, now it's regular you know, season and winter season may be a little bit high. So, but this is actually deceiving the whole Chinese population. Many people don't have enough preparation for this big wave of respiratory infection. And speaking of the WHO, the WHO is demanding more information from China. But with the pandemic, the WHO initially praised China, including its handling of it. Do you think the WHO is more concerned this time and will demand more answers? I think WHO most of the time is not really doing its job. <laughs> Honestly, I'm kind of criticizing at this moment because how can you trust these data if Chinese government did not provide you any real sample testing? The WHO cannot simply just trust in the uh, Chinese government. Uh, I think you, for WHO, they need to distrust and then verify, not even trust and verify. So I think uh, Chinese uh, societies inside and outside China, as well as uh, the international health organizations all need to put pressure in China on the CCP because you know, this time I think it's very dangerous because children are the future of a country. If you have so many children facing such a, a huge health risk, what kind of impact to China's future that it can bring? So I think the whole world need to pay serious attention on China's new uh, very big wave of the respiratory infection again. Quite concerning indeed. Dr. Sean Lin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much.
America is beginning to say its final goodbye to former First Lady Rosalind Carter. Her casket arrived at the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library in Atlanta, Georgia, and is set to lie in repose ahead of her funeral service on Wednesday. Former President Jimmy Carter attended the ceremony as well as other family members, friends and the public. The former president is also expected to attend the tribute service on Tuesday at Emory University. Rosalind passed away last week after spending two days in hospice care at home. She was 96 years old. Coming up today is Cyber Monday. We take a look at its origins in the history of e-commerce and how it's already expanding beyond a single day. A drug trafficker shot dead in Los Angeles. He was connected to the son of a Sinaloa cartel drug lord. And a police program teaches California teens to make good decisions. This comes amid a rise in thefts across the state. That and more when we come back here on NTD News. Welcome back. Today is Cyber Monday when online retailers are offering big discounts. Analysts predict consumers could spend a record $12 billion today alone. NTD's Dave Martin has more. In 1969, the first ever online business CompuServe launched. In 1982, the first ever online marketplace Boston Computer Exchange opened for business. People bought and sold computers online for the first time. In 1994, Jeff Bezos founded Amazon. In 1995, eBay went online. In 2000, Walmart created a website. And in 2005, Cyber Monday was born. It was something launched by the Retail Federation um, to promote online shopping. Obviously, at that point, online shopping was not the fat, you know, the huge success that it was today. Business consultant Bob Billbrook says that back then there was a lot of in-store shopping on Black Friday. E-commerce sellers were left out and wanted to capitalize on people's willingness to spend. Experts say Cyber Monday, just like Black Friday, was a response to consumer behavior. In the early 2000s, not everyone owned a computer. Many could only access one when they went back to work on Monday. Retailers noticed a surge in shopping on this day. The National Retail Federation then coined the term Cyber Monday in a press release. The media started spreading the term to the point that it became the cultural phenomenon it is today. Retailers never let a good thing uh, go to waste. So once they have the audience there and visiting the sites, then obviously they want to uh, make as much money per consumer as they can there. So that is probably what took it into extending it. Billbrook says this is why some have started calling it Cyber Week. Many retailers are taking advantage of people's willingness to spend between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Not all companies have a Cyber Week. Amazon has a countdown timer telling you when Cyber Monday will end. All sites like Walmart will have online deals in some markets all week long. This is Dave Martin, NTD News. A drug trafficker linked to the son of a notorious Sinaloa cartel leader has died. NTD's Christina Corona has more on the story. 
Eduardo Escobedo, 39, a convicted drug trafficker known as El Mago, was fatally shot in Los Angeles County. Escobedo reportedly has connections to the son of incarcerated drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. The incident occurred on Thanksgiving morning along Town Avenue in Willowbrook, where Escobedo and 47-year-old Guillermo de Los Angeles Jr. were both killed at the scene after deputies from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office responded to a report of gunshots. A third unidentified individual sustained non-life-threatening injuries and was transported to the hospital. According to the Times, Escobedo was the primary local marijuana distributor to El Chapo's eldest son, Ivan Archivaldo Guzman Salazar. Having served close to five years in federal prison for conspiring to distribute over 22,000 pounds of marijuana and laundering drug proceeds, Escobedo was released in 2018. Investigators have not disclosed the motive for the killings. Christina Corona, NTD News, Los Angeles. Teens Learning Discipline and Positive Values, a Southern California Police Department has a program to help young people make better choices and avoid decisions that could lead to arrest or even death. Here's more from NTD's Ruby Lovell. Reports of smash and grab shoplifting offenses are on the rise. Many are often committed by young people. A program, however, has been designed to correct this delinquent behavior. The El Monte Police Department's TORCH, which stands for Teaching, Obedience, Respect, Courage and Honor. The program for teenagers combats unruly behavior and attempts to rehabilitate. Today we'll actually be going into the youth program location and talking to some of these young people. Bad behavior was like, I wouldn't, my, my, my mom would call me and I wouldn't answer and I'd be out with my friends tagging up the wall, drinking and doing, just doing bad. I've changed a lot actually. I've got into church, I became Christian and I don't really hang out with bad people. At the time I was going through certain stuff, you know, so I decided, eh, okay, I'll give it a try, you know, because it was good exercise, it was good discipline. And it seemed like I needed discipline at the time, you know. We also bring some rehabilitated people that were fortunate to be part of the system. And now they're in their late 40s, 50s, and then they give a heart-to-heart -heart conversation to the children. And it's a type of modification for their behavior to put them on the right path. They've been identified in large part by our community relations office through our school resource officers and our partnership with our teachers. Uh, to identify those at-risk youth and get them involved in, in a program, not only to help them make better decisions, but to integrate their parents so that their parents are more uh, keyed up and educated as to what's going on with their children and at school and in the home. And at the end of the program, how do you follow up with them? And have you seen many success stories from, you know, personally, children that you've, youth that you've dealt with? Yes, there's been a lot of success stories. Um, some of the kids have actually become explorers later, which is, uh, you know, our program for kids that are a little bit more wanting to be involved in law enforcement, whether it's police officers. Through the TORCH program, mentors and parents have been able to instill qualities such as integrity, knowledge, endurance, honesty and discipline, amongst others. Ruby Lovell, NTD News, California. Coming up, six teenagers are on trial today in Paris, accused of involvement in the beheading of a French teacher by a suspected Islamist in 2020. We have more on the trial.
And are we seeing an American version of the Cultural Revolution playing out? A survivor of China's Cultural Revolution speaks to us about the parallels she's seen here in the U.S. Stay tuned for more after the break here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend the ceasefire by two days, during which Hamas will release 20 more hostages and Israel 60 prisoners. But the White House warns that Hamas terrorists could be using this time to regroup and rearm. Jason Eaton, the suspect in the Vermont shooting of Palestinian college students, pleaded not guilty. He was arrested and charged with three counts of attempted murder, but not with a hate crime. Republican Congressman George Santos is facing a vote of expulsion as soon as this week. It could make it difficult for Republicans to pass the rest of their government funding bills without him. Six teenagers are on trial today in Paris. Authorities accuse them of involvement in the beheading of French history teacher Samuel Paty. The teacher reportedly showed his pupils, pupils cartoons of Mohammed during a class on freedom of expression. The six minors face a variety of charges. A 15-year-old girl is charged with making a false accusation. She allegedly told her parents that Patey asked Muslim pupils to leave the room before showing the caricatures. It was established she wasn't in the class when it happened. The other five minors will be charged with premeditated criminal conspiracy or ambush. They are suspected of having pointed out Patey to the alleged murderer or helped in his exit from the school. The six could serve up to two and a half years in jail if convicted. The hearings will last until early December and will be held behind closed doors. Eight adults also stand accused of related crimes and will appear before a special criminal court. Patey's alleged killer was shot dead by police soon after the attack. Students are asking for a teacher to be fired at Hillcrest High School in Queens, New York. This is all because her profile photo on social media shows her at a pro-Israel rally. Reports say the teacher had to hide in a room while students protested over the past week. Why are we seeing such acts taking place in America? Xi Van Fleet, a survivor of China's Cultural Revolution, joins us to explore what parallels she is seeing. Xi Van Fleet, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you. Always love to be back. Recently, we saw these videos online of a pro-Israel teacher who was hiding in a Queens high school. This was after students were rioting outside, calling for her to be fired. What was your reaction upon seeing these videos? And that reminds me exactly what I saw during the Cultural Revolution, the Red Guards. The Red Guards go after the teachers, the uh, administrators and the principals for thinking the wrong thought and doing and saying the wrong things. So that's exactly what happened during the Cultural Revolution. And you actually just published a book on that titled Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning. Expand on these parallels you're seeing. How is that even possible in America? It's indoctrination. That's the power of indoctrination a lot of people just underestimate. Uh, it absolutely can um, 
change uh, the the uh, students' worldview. That's the key word, worldview. They see everything through the Marxist lens. They put everything into two categories, oppressors and oppressed. They don't need to understand uh, the reason. They don't need to understand the history. They just need to identify that. And then off they go, protest against the, uh, on behalf of the oppressed. So the teacher, you know, she was not with the uh, so-called uh, oppressed. She dared to go to pro-Israel rally. And But I also tweeted this. I said, this is a very, very alarming because to celebrate and justify violence is a short step from committing it. They are almost there. We are dangerously close to that point when the students will actually commit violence, just like those red guards in China. Those red guards were not monsters. They seem to be normal the day before, but the ideology can absolutely turn them into killers. And you mentioned the term indoctrination, but what's driving this ideological shift that we're seeing, especially among the young people in America? Well, if you want to destroy a country, if you want to take power, and you need an army. You, 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 you may have control of the military, but the, you have a better army that was used. The indoctrinated use of tens of millions of Red Guards coming fresh from the uh, government schools. And that's how he carried out his cultural revolution to overthrow everything, to destroy all institutions for power. That's exactly what's going on in America. They also have millions of young indoctrinated kids, the American Red Guards, to do their bidding. So who's behind it in America then? Who wants to see this as the solution? I know in China we have a figure that we can identify. That's Mao. Here it's a group of them. It's globalists. This those who want to control everything and take our freedom away. The globalists, the elite, and those who wish to destroy our country and take away our freedom. Now, in terms of this pro-Israel teacher, New York City Eric Mayor Adams tweeted out, quote, no student, teacher or staff member should fear for their safety in our schools. But what can leaders even do when we are seeing this type of ideology that's pushing these students? It is absolutely. It is now we're seeing the result of indoctrination. And also I have a word for the teachers. I absolutely want to warn the teachers. When you uh, are part of the uh, the indoctrinators and when you try to indoctrinate our children, the first one they go to turn against are the teachers, are the uh, principals, are the school administrations, uh, straighters, which was demonstrated to us during the Cultural Revolution in China. And if this continues unchecked, where do you see this going? Will we have a cultural revolution in America? We are having a cultural revolution in America. But if we don't stop it, we'll see widespread violence. That's exactly what happened in China. The first killing in the cultural revolution was a principal by her students. Definitely a lot at stake here. Shivan Fleet, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Coming up, America's oldest dictionary has announced the top word of 2023. Hint means staying true to yourself. Take a guess at what it is. 
And in college football, Michigan's Jim Harbaugh is looking for his third straight conference title, but is his job in jeopardy? NTD's Dave Martin joins us in the studio to discuss after the break. Welcome back. If your goal is to be true to yourself, then you're in step with the word of the year, which is authentic. Miriam Webster says there has always been a high volume of lookups for the word, but there was a substantial increase in 2023. The online dictionary cites stories about artificial intelligence, celebrity culture, identity, social media, and even Taylor Swift. Some of the meanings of authentic include not false or imitation and true to one's own personality, spirit, or character. Other top words for the year include deepfake, coronation, dystopian, and riz, which comes from charisma and means romantic appeal or charm. Last year's word of the year was gaslighting. And now for your sports news, we welcome NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, a busy weekend in sports. Let's start with college football. How does Ohio's, Ohio State's loss to Michigan affect the playoff race? Well, because it was such a close loss between two of the best teams, it's really going to give the committee a tough choice in how far they drop Ohio State. Now, Georgia and Michigan are going to be one and two. Washington will probably still be three. Where it gets interesting is number four. Florida State is undefeated, but their star quarterback is out for the season. Do they put a one-loss Ohio State ahead of them? I think it really makes the committee decide whether they're going to base this on their full season resume or who would win if they played today. Now, this is the next to last ranking. Next week is the final. But if Florida State, you know, if they lose uh, this weekend, I think the com committee would catch a huge break in not having to answer that. And Dave, looking at the other side of the game, Michigan's head coach Jim Harbaugh has now served his three-game suspension. That was his second suspension this season. What do you think of his job status? Well, uh, if history is any indication, the school will probably, you know, stand by their coach and look the other way. You know, generally speaking, being caught breaking competition rules usually only gets the coach fired if they're not successful on the field. And he has been very successful on the field. 37-3 and three over the last three years. If they win Saturday, this will be their third straight Big Ten title. It also kind of seems like the scandal was limited to a couple people on his staff, too. Uh, it's not really clear either, but usually it's those like off the field scandals that get a coach fired. Uh, now, he still hasn't decided or we'll actually see if he decides to return next year because that could be another story in and of itself. Now, looking at the NFL today, the Carolina Panthers fired their head coach after a 1-10 start in his first season. Why such a short hook? I think a lot of people are asking that too, especially since Frank Reich is so well regarded. You know, this is only the sixth time since the NFL merger in 1970 that a coach was fired during his first season. Now, Carolina had a rookie quarterback starting, which is always tough to win in that case, but they traded multiple first round picks to draft him. This is Bryce Young. And unfortunately, he struggled as most young rookie quarterbacks do. But it looks even worse that they passed up on C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud was picking with the very next pick. He has been a star quarterback for Houston, which is so rare to do as a rookie. So it's never clear who made that call, but them getting rid of him kind of makes it seem like he had, that it was uh, his decision. Now for an under-the-radar story in the league is the fall of the once mighty New England Patriots who were in last place. Is it possible they get rid of Bill Belichick? 
Boy, that would be something. You know, to me, it shows that even the best still have to have talent if they're going to win. Now, Brady won six Super Bowls with the now-retired Tom Brady at quarterback. No other coach has even won four, more than four. But I think there's some similar similarities here to Carolina. You know, who's making the personnel decisions for them? It's not really clear. But in years past, any talent problems around them, Brady's passing could pretty much mask those problems. And since Belichick was so good at defense, it was such a perfect marriage. Now, I don't think the Patriots get rid of him anytime soon. I mean, he's, he would have plenty of options around the league if they did. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.